The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. I don't often speak about the conflicts and controversies going on in the Episcopal Church. And the reason for that is primarily because I think I would only be uh, humoring myself. You know, it's always wonderful to be able to vent your spleen on something you really care about and you think that uh, everybody else is wrong but you. So I try to avoid that because it's so easy to slip into that kind of condescension. But something has uh, occurred recently which caught my attention, and it does relate to the tension within our church. It also, I believe, connects with this particular gospel lesson. Our presiding bishop, Catherine Jefford Shorey, sent a Christmas card to all of the bishops of the church, apparently. And it was, uh, I saw a picture of it on the internet, and I hope we can get a link to our own website so you have a chance to see it as well. It's a beautiful Christmas card published by Bridge Building Images, which is a company which uh, has publishes uh, works of art that are uh, some of them contemporary icons and, uh, of course, also uh, greeting cards. The particular artist that did this card was Janet McKenzie, and it depicts in almost iconic fashion Mary holding uh, the Christ child and three wise women standing behind her. And the four women in this uh, icon are, three of them are women of color. 
And it really is a captivating image of what we so often think of as the visitation of the Magi. I looked at one website that was commenting on this and they said that the title of this particular article was Warning, Wise Women Ahead. (laughs) Well, I'm sure that that card was well received by many of the bishops of the church, but it was not well received in the Diocese of Fort Worth. On the website, I want to first read the narrative that goes with the card so you hear what the creators of the card have to say about what it is. Wise women throughout time and in every culture know themselves to be seekers and seers of the divine. In Janet McKenzie's interpretation of the Magi, women around the world find an image of the epiphany that includes and validates their encounters with the one who saves. Celebrated here in the powerful, protective, and tender manifestation of a mother and her child, embraced and nurtured by a loving community. Here is a global inclusiveness and a vision of mutuality and interdependence, the giving and receiving of three gifts essential to life itself, the gift of presence, love, and daily bread. Epiphany proclaims again and anew, Christ for all people, God's favor extends to all. Well, when it was received in the Diocese of Fort Worth, apparently there was quite a bit of alarm about this card. Enough so that the standing committee, which is a very important body in in a diocese, they essentially serve as a council of advice for the bishop, but also are the ecclesiastical authority during the the times when there might not be a bishop, before the election of a new bishop. So they have a, a lot of authority, in a sense, are check and balance as well with bishops, a powerful body. They issued a letter to all of the clergy and to the, mem- the delegates to their convention. And this is a part of what's in that letter. The presiding bishop is an intelligent woman. So this reinterpretation of scripture to exclude masculine images must be intentional. This card illustrates in many ways the core problem of the general convention church, which is a pejorative term for the Episcopal Church. Scripture cannot be made to conform to us. We must conform our lives and our faith to Scripture. We will continue to stand for the traditional expression of the faith. Now, I think the card does raise an issue in the church, and it's something we should think about. Because I think the way people react to that card may, in fact, point to a a core problem that we have. Because it seems to me in our denomination, in the mainline denominations, and and I would say also in the Roman Catholic Church, one of the core issues has to do with the tension between uh, two groups of people and the way they understand Scripture to be used. For some of us, we believe that there is an ongoing revelation, that God continues to interact with God's people, and that uh, the most discomforting thing about all of that is that God pushes us in directions that we might not even want to go may cause us to consider possibilities for the church that we might never consider. I think that many of us never thought we would see the day when there would be a woman bishop in the Episcopal Church, let alone a presiding bishop, a primate. So God, I think, does move the church. And it's an ongoing revelation that we have to be open to. 
Now, the other side of this, the other group that's in tension with this is a, is a group that sees the principal role of the church as maintaining the religious status quo. And they wouldn't say it that way. They would say they are maintaining orthodoxy. But I think that what it really comes down to is keeping things the way they have always been, the way they've been handed down to us, at least the way we understand them to be. Now, in fairness to that group, there is an underlying issue as well with regard to the ongoing revelation, because revelation can never be an individual thing. I can't have a revelation and not have it confirmed by the community in which I live and have my being. So one of the issues in the church, for those of us who believe in an ongoing revealing of God, is where is that confirmed in the church? Is it, is it enough that it's confirmed in a general convention of the Episcopal Church? Or should it have been confirmed by a larger body of the Anglican Communion? But I'm going to set that aspect of it aside. It's a valid point. I also want to make the point that people on both sides of this question are good people. The members of that standing committee in Fort Worth are good people. They care about the church passionately. So in talking about these issues, we must always keep in mind these are people who are faithful on both sides of the question, who care deeply for Christ and his church. But I think that at the heart of this is something that we can start to see on opening up as a result of this story about the Magi. Now, nobody really knows uh, where they came from. I think most scholars would agree that they probably came from what we now call Iran and Iraq. And they were probably well-educated men who uh, their principal purpose may have been to interpret dreams, uh, also to uh, interpret signs in the sky to help uh, rulers and people of power and authority to understand what the future might hold as they looked at the stars. They were important, I'm sure, in their countries. But tradition has reinterpreted a great deal of this story. First of all, uh, there's nothing in the scripture about them being kings. And one can imagine that we uh, started to refer to them as kings in order to make that connection with what we what we sang today from uh, Psalm 72. You'll see that the uh, reference to the kings there. They there's no indication that there were three. Uh, we've come to believe that it was three kings because there were three gifts or three magi. So we have added more to the story. And as time went on, even more was added by giving them names and suggesting that they probably came from Europe, Africa and Asia. And in that way, they have really the whole world came to the Christ child. So over time, there's been a tremendous amount of, of uh, information added that is not biblical, but which is very much a part of the tradition. But all of that really isn't very important, I don't think, to Matthew as he begins to tell his story. First of all, with regard to the Magi coming, I think part of what Matthew wanted to express was the, the terror, the fear that Herod had when he realized that there was the, the possibility that there was another one who would rise to power to threaten his power and authority. But even that, I think, was not terribly important to Matthew. If you recall how Matthew's telling of the gospel begins, he begins with that genealogy that names four Gentile women. And then, almost uh, as, as, as alarming as anything could be, he has Gentiles coming to worship the Christ child. 
Now, someone who heard that, who is Jewish in the first century, first of all, hearing this genealogy highlighting Gentiles and then hearing about these Gentiles coming to worship the Messiah would have really been startled. It seems to me that Matthew is saying this is something entirely new. It's something that that causes us to rethink our Holy Scriptures, what we would refer to as the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. I believe that the early church was being prodded by the Holy Spirit to rethink, to open themselves to ongoing revelation, to see that the Christ child was not just for the Jewish people, that the Messiah had not come just for the house of Israel, but rather the Messiah had come for all people. And so the coming of the Magi are really a foreshadowing of the inclusion of the Gentiles in the great story of salvation. And the Gentiles, remember, are you and me, (laughs) all of us sitting here. We have been included as a result of that great, wonderful inclusion that occurred in in the New Testament. And we heard it in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where Paul describes with great passion how it has now been revealed by the Spirit, the Spirit now revealing something new to the church. It's now been revealed that Gentiles, too, are to be part of God's kingdom. I think it's, it's impossible for us to really understand how revolutionary that must have been, how utterly unbelievable it must have been to those who had been faithful Jews and had become Christians. And, you know, it was so uh, it was so uh, difficult to accept that they had that great council in Jerusalem where they all had to come together and and probably swore at each other. It was such a hot issue. It was really difficult for the early church to come to the point to realize you didn't have to be a Jew first and be circumcised in order to be a Christian. Well, the presiding bishop's Christmas card apparently pushed a hot button in the Diocese of Fort Worth. And the knee-jerk reaction, I think, was an attempt to defend religion as a status quo, to, to defend, really, male domination of the church. But I think, in doing so, they missed a wonderful opportunity. Because it seems to me that the value of that card was to invite her fellow bishops to look at themselves and to see if it would be possible for them to look upon the Christ child through the eyes of another. And I think perhaps that is the gift of the Magi to us, to look upon our salvation through the eyes of someone else, through the eyes of a woman, a single parent, through the eyes of someone in our own community who is poor, to the eyes of someone who's homeless in Boston. What does it look like to look upon the Christ child, to look upon our salvation through their eyes? I believe that we are called on this epiphany to not just accept the status quo, but rather to look through the eyes of the other and to look upon the Christ child and to give thanks this day that we have been included, but not just that, but that the salvation that's present there, God's unbounded grace is available to all. 
And for that, we give thanks on this feast day of Epiphany. Amen. Amen.